0: Please stand for the reading of God's word. Reading from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 23. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him, had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among these who went to worship at the feast were some Greeks. These came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come, the Son of Man must be glorified. This is indeed God's Word. Amen. 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 Please be seated.
1: If you want to follow along, uh, stay in your Bibles in John chapter 12. A number of scripture will be on the screen behind me as in addition. Where are you on your spiritual journey? No matter where you are, we're glad you're here this morning. You could be an atheist, an agnostic, a skeptic. You could worship another god. You could be an person still trying to understand Christianity, a new Christian, a stumbling Christian, or a mature Christian. We're all on journeys. And this morning, we want you to consider a journey with Jesus Christ. We want you to see Christ more clearly this morning. We also want you to look in your own hearts and see your own hearts more clearly. 2,000 years ago a prophet named Simeon said at the dedication of Jesus he lifted up Jesus and said this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. There is no week in all of human history where it is clearer that Jesus Christ causes the rising and the falling of many. There's no week where our hearts are more revealed than the week that begins with Palm Sunday and ends on Easter. This morning, I trust that we will open our hearts to Christ. We will let the Spirit of God explore them. Let's be honest with God. Let's be honest with ourselves so that we might really move forward on our spiritual journeys. Let's pray. Our Father, even as I say this, I I could see myself sitting in the pew and uh, getting stiff. My heart being revealed. So often I hide things even from my own heart. But Lord, I pray for me and I pray for each one of us that if you explore our hearts, it's out of your goodness. It's out of your desire for the best for us because you love us so much. So Lord, let me let my guard down today. Let each of us let our guards down to allow you to do your work. In Christ we pray. Amen. Jesus had been ministering for around three years. He'd amassed many followers and many enemies. Recently, he had performed perhaps his most astonishing miracle of all. His friend Lazarus had been dead for three days, buried in a dark cave. And Jesus came to that tomb and called Jesus Lazarus out of it, and this dead man came alive. The news spread throughout the, the region, and it drew many new believers to Christ. But it also hardened many enemies. It threw the city into turmoil. And so the religious leaders convened a council that was led by the high priest. And they they addressed this ruckus, and they saw the potential for an insurrection surrounding Jesus coming to be. And so at that point, they determined that Jesus must die. So that's the environment of what's going on in Palm Sunday. Jesus that morning, sends his disciples out where they find a donkey and its colt, and he begins to ride that donkey in a journey toward Jerusalem. When the crowds hear of it, John says, a great multitude came out to greet him and sang the hosannas to him. The three gospels before John see this event very clearly as a fulfillment of a prophecy about Messiah that had been written 500 years before. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey... Jesus was intentionally fulfilling this prophecy on this very day, a day that many of us believe was predicted by Daniel over 400 years earlier, the very day when Messiah would be announced. John takes this event And he shows us four different responses to this proclamation. So what I want each of us to do today is to see, do we fit one of these responses? The first one is of the crowd, and they're singing and they're chanting and they're praising of Jesus. And so many who come to church on Palm Sunday would probably see themselves in this, this multitude. I mean, we were... with. Here this morning, singing his praises, singing the Hosannas, glory, Lord, and honor to the King of Kings. And that's what they were doing, this first group, the crowd. They joyfully proclaimed Hosanna! Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. So they are clearly saying Jesus is the long awaited Messiah. He is the King of Israel. Also in their word, Hosanna, which literally means, save us now. They're proclaiming their cry that they want a Savior. That Jesus is the one who has come to save them. So, why do we see at the end of, of this event, Jesus saying these words: Though Jesus had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled: Lord, who's believed what He heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so. While we look at this crowd and say, yeah, that's the way people should respond to Jesus, Jesus at the end says, they didn't believe. In the book of Luke, when he overlooks the city, he says, you did not recognize me. So how do we reconcile all of these praises about Jesus with the idea that they didn't really recognize him? Perhaps their faith was surface. Perhaps they were churchgoer types who could sing all the hymns, celebrate Christmas, celebrate Easter without fully understanding the meaning of it all. I have a contemporary... uh, illustration of this, a story I've told a number of times here it was a December and I was passing out little pamphlets that talked about Jesus and the coming of Jesus and his birth and so as I passed it out to one young man I said this shares with us the meaning of Christmas and he stopped and he started looking at it and so I engaged him further and asked you know out of all the people who were ever born in all of history, why do we celebrate Christmas? And he said, because that's the day Jesus was born, and we should celebrate that. So I asked another question. So so why, out of all the people, do we celebrate Jesus' birth? He said, because he's savior of the world. So I asked one more question. What does it mean that he's savior of the world? He said, beats me. (laughs) I can relate to that. I grew up in church. I read the Bible. I got confirmed. Even after I could choose whether to go to church or not, I did go to church on Christmas, and I did go to church on Easter. And I made all the proclamations, but I think if you would ask me, what does it mean Jesus is the Savior, I'm not sure I could really tell you. I think that is a dynamic that's going on in, in this crowd and can go on today in some of our hearts. Do we really get it? And so Jesus, further on, explains the implications of what they are proclaiming. And so he says in verse 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You see, if Jesus is king, then he is our king. King's rule. So if we truly believe Jesus is the king, then we will serve him. We will want him to rule over us. And yet that's foreign even in some people who call themselves Christian. My wife was in her class, had one of her students at Boston College make the declaration saying, you know, if, if I wanted to have an abortion, which is clearly wrong in her faith and in scripture, if I wanted to have an abortion, God would want me to have one because he wants me to be happy. And see, that's where a lot of people, the way a lot of people view God today, that God loves us and he wants us to be happy, so he serves us, giving us whatever we think is going to make us happy. Yeah. God wants our happiness. He loves us. He wants our joy. Jesus himself said, uh, I pray these things and I say these things to you that my joy may be in you, that you may have my joy. You would have joy to the fullest. That's what Jesus wants in our lives. But the path to that isn't for us to tell God what's going to bring us fulfillment and meaning and happiness. It's to turn to the God who created the universe who can share with us and guide us into what is going to fulfill us, what's going to really bring a joy that can surpass understanding. Second thing Jesus says, verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. See, the the people shouted, the king of Israel, but they didn't want to serve him. They shouted, Hosanna, save us now, but they didn't get the idea that Jesus had come not to rule right now, but in his first coming to give his life to save them from their sin. What does it mean he's Savior? And a lot of people struggle with the idea that Jesus comes to save us from our sin. Now, is it because the news is so good, so wonderful, it's it's impossible to believe that God himself would come to earth, look at Bruce Daggett, all of the outward sin, all of the inward sin, all the rebellion, all the pushback against God and say, Jesus is going to take all of that sin and put it on the cross. Is it too good a news to believe? Or is it too difficult for us to acknowledge to ourselves that there is sin in our hearts, in our lives, our sin that deserves the judgment of God? If we want God to be holy, he can't accept our sin. If we want God to be just, he can't just brush it off, this rebellion against God. Is it too difficult for us to acknowledge who we are, like that Pharisee that Drew mentioned? He couldn't acknowledge it. The tax collector good, he could say, God, be merciful, be propitious to me, a sinner. It seems the crowd didn't get it or didn't want a savior. So, many of us here now might say, well, at first I thought maybe I was part of the crowd, but no, I've I've been to Westgate very regularly. I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray. I'm committed to Jesus. I may stumble along the way, but I'm committed. I'm more like the disciples. And that's the second group that shows up in this passage. Now, the disciples are the ones who certainly should get it. Jesus handpicked each one of them, and they... Came and they essentially lived with Jesus for three years. They absorbed all of his teaching. They saw every single miracle that he had performed. Uh, Certainly they get it. And they're traveling, they're traveling along with him, just, I'm sure, just absorbing all the praises and thinking, finally, the people are getting this. They know who Jesus is, they're joining the team. But what does John say about it? John 12, 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So the disciples didn't really, really get it. Perhaps there was too much of the crowd that was still in them. Perhaps they were still looking for that physical blessing that the Messiah was supposed to king when he, the king was supposed to to bring where he's going to make all things right. And the world is going to be blessed through him. And so, many ways, maybe they've come to him because of what they're going to get from him. And so they think at this point, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, everybody's acknowledging he's Messiah. Now he's going to move to the throne. He's going to push Rome aside, and he's going to rule and fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament. But they didn't. Get it. But there's a difference between them and the crowd. They were willing to serve Jesus, they were following him, and they were willing to go wherever he would lead, and it would lead to their deaths. Secondly, they they were open to the idea that they needed a savior. After Jesus had fed the 5,000 and many, many people were starting to follow him, and then he said, you have to believe in me, and then everybody left except the 12 disciples. And Jesus says, why don't you leave me? And Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. They didn't get it fully. They, they resisted the fact that the king of Israel would die But after Jesus rose, they got it. Jesus died for their sins. That's how they get eternal life. The king has come to rule in their lives spiritually to make them the people God always intended them to be. If you find yourself as a disciple of Jesus today, how clearly do you get these two truths about Jesus. Are you ready to let him rule your life? But also, are you able not only to understand Christ died for your sins, but to live out of that truth? We talk about it as living out of the gospel, the wonderful, beautiful news that Jesus came for us. God so loved us, he gave his only son and not only do we have eternal life, and eternal life isn't just about heaven. It's about life, relationship with God, growth with Him, fulfillment in Him. So it is in the cross of Jesus Christ where we find our identity as sons and daughters of the living God, where we find our significance, that the God of the universe gave the greatest gift possible, the life of his son, because he so treasures us. Where we find our security knowing that our eternity is settled, and if God sent his son for us, isn't he really invested in our lives and everything in our lives? As disciples, it it isn't just about learning more of the Bible, it's by growing deeper with Jesus Christ. Now, it's possible there's some here this morning who are skeptical or even opponents of Christ. We're glad you're here. And we want to respect your sincerity in your journey. Paul does in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, who the opposition was seeking his life, he said, they sincerely seek God, just not according to knowledge. So if Paul is able to recognize the sincerity in people who oppose him and oppose Christ, we too should honor that sincerity. And so we have this third group who are opponents of Jesus. It's the Pharisees. Now this is a group that should have understood who Jesus is. They were the religious leaders. They were the teachers of the people. And they were steeped in Scripture. They knew every prophecy about the coming Messiah. They clearly knew Zechariah 9.9, that the Messiah is going to ride into Jerusalem on, on a donkey. But, They didn't receive him. Instead, they were very threatened by him. And so we see their response in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And what they mean by this is they've been putting up with Jesus. And now they're saying, this posture is not a good one because we're not accomplishing our goal. The whole world, look at them. They're all starting to follow Jesus. That's not the way it should be. In the book of Luke, some of the Pharisees and the crowds turned right to Jesus and he said, "Rebuke your disciples." See, their goal was silence Jesus." But Jesus wouldn't be silenced. And so they only had one other way to silence Him. And we see that in verse 47 of chapter 11 after the the resuscitation of Lazarus it says so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said what are we to do this man performs many signs if we let him go on like this everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our people and our nation okay do you see the reasoning here They are trying to protect their nation. Jesus is stirring up all sorts of ideas of a Messiah who can take over, push Rome out. If Rome gets wind of this, they're going to come in and they're going to oppress and perhaps kill the Jews. And so the chief priest says, now, think about this. It's just one man's life or it's the lives of all of us here in Israel. And so if they really believed this, they were trying to protect the people. You know, there are opponents and critics of Christianity today who are trying to protect people from our message, from our morality, from what we say, they they believe it's harmful. And I think we need to respect their sincerity in trying to do what they believe is right. But if you're in that position, in opposition to Jesus, or even a critic of him, if you're sincere, seek more knowledge. Because we see in this very passage as the chief priests came together, what do they say? Jesus has done many signs. There it was right before him. They had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw a dead man come alive. But they were pushing that aside. In fact, they attributed it to demons. They weren't open and honest you find yourself in opposition, don't be like them and brush away the proofs of Christianity. Look at Christians who truly follow Jesus. Consider the resurrection, which is the ultimate proof. You know, the Apostle Paul said, you know, if Jesus Christ isn't raised, then we are fools as Christians to believe that. It's a myth. And if we're telling others about it, we're spreading a lie. We are not to be honored, we're to be pitied. On the other hand, if Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, then those who are his opponents have bought into a lie spreading lies unknowingly and are to be pitied. Explore Jesus Christ. Open your hearts to the evidence. So we turn to the fourth group, which probably looked at the disciples who were for Jesus, the Pharisees who were against Jesus, and straddle between both. Why offend either? I'm not against either of you. And these are the Greeks, the seekers. And in many ways, we all should be seekers, trying to find out more about Jesus. We read it here in verse 20 and 21. Now there were some Greeks among us, among those who went up to worship at the feast, they came to Philip with a request. Sir, they said, we would see Jesus. Now, these, you're wondering, what what are Greeks doing at the Jewish holy holidays of Passover? It's because they truly respected, honored, and admired the Jewish people, but not enough, they hadn't made a decision to convert. And so they would still come to the feast. There's an earlier passage where the, the Jews talk about a Roman centurion. And they say this, he loved the Jews, and he built them a synagogue. So there were these Gentiles who really valued and appreciated the Jewish people, but never converted. And that's what it seems these people are. They're seekers. They're not stuck in, in their polytheism. They, they're really looking at Judaism, and then they see this about Jesus, and what are they going to do? We want to see Jesus. We want to understand who Jesus was. We've got to say, that's great. Seek him out. But they're straddling the fence. They're straddling the fence with Judaism, and we could probably expect they're going to straddle the fence with Christianity and feel we offend. Nobody. But Jesus said this, If you are not for me, you are against me. If you're not for me, you are against me. See, we can't straddle the fence. I mean, think of the United States during the beginning of World War II and we thought we could straddle. We're neutral. We're not for e- England or against them. We're not for Germany or against them. You know, everybody should love us. But by not being for the Western powers, Hitler would have taken over. We might as well have been against them. I am not expecting, if you were a seeker this morning, I'm not expecting you to say, after one sermon, say, okay, I'm going to change. But maybe God does, maybe he is working in your heart to say, I have to make a decision for or against Christ. But minimally, continue to explore him, continue to seek him, and know that one day you need to make that decision because not being for him is being against him. Those are four different responses but there's there's a fifth we see in this passage and that's of Jesus. Now, we would expect with this tremendous celebration with all these people the whole world, the Pharisees said the whole world turning after him we would expect Jesus to be thrilled. And yet we read this from the gospel of Luke on his journey it says as he approached Jerusalem he saw the city and he wept over it he said if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace but it's hidden from your eyes the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They'll dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They'll not leave one stone unturned because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus riding into a city where the people who are singing the praises, they're completely empty praise, And he knows at the end, they're going to walk away. They won't believe. He knows four days later, they'll cry out, give us Barabbas, crucify him. He knows he's riding into a city that's owned by the religious leaders who are even now plotting to kill him. But not just to kill him, they're going to torture him and they're going to humiliate him in every possible way that they can so he's completely stomped down even his disciples are so dense they don't get it still and and he looks at that city what would a, a normal king say i will lead the charge in the destruction of that city but not jesus he he weeps over that city But you see, Jesus doesn't just weep for Jerusalem. He does something about it. Verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Jesus is saying, as he has wept over Jerusalem, as he weeps over us, there is something I can do. I can die and pay the penalty for all those sins. And we see on the cross, those who wanted him silenced and crucified are standing at the foot of the cross mocking him and God said, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. He's died for all of those sins, for the sins of the naive who don't get it, the sins of the dance, disciples, the sins of the opponents, the sins of those who still straddle the fence and still offers. I died for those sins so you could have God. That day, they didn't recognize him. Later, the centurion did, and he believed. Later, one of the gravest opponents of Jesus named Saul, who became Paul, believed. Jesus died for us. He just says, can you accept it? Can you recognize I've come as your Savior, and can you embrace it? We celebrate Jesus is the King. A lot of people resist him being King, and I just ask this. If Jesus knows everything about your heart, where you are, and took all of that and put it on the cross. Isn't that the king you want to follow? Our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. This day we celebrate the king has come. But even more gladly, Hosanna. Our prayer is answered. Our Savior has arrived. Amen.